All right, friends, while they receive the offering, pull out your Bibles. You're going to need a Bible, um, and so make sure you pull that out. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one underneath the seat that you are sitting in. It's a white Bible. Uh, Pull that out. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Last week, we were jumping around in the um, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the very beginning of the New Testament, the very next book is Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Um, if you're flipping in one of those white Bibles, I'll give you the page number. It's on page 532, 532, um, Acts 4, and we're actually going to bite off a little bit of 5 as well, the end of 4 and the beginning of 5. We've been walking through a series uh, called True Flourishing Is. Here at Flourishing Grace Church, we talk all the time. We said we want to be a community that leads people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. That, that is the goal, that is the vision, the mission of Flourishing Grace is to lead people into um, flourishing relationships with Jesus. But then the question is, well, what, does that, what does that mean? What, what does that actually look like? How do I know if I have a flourishing relationship with Jesus? How, how do I know if, I, if I'm leading my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers or my children into flourishing relationships with Jesus? How, how, how do I know? And so what we've done is we've created these seven core convictions or seven um, ideas, values, and we'd say, man, if these things are true of your life, if these things are true of the life of your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, they are at least beginning to uh, find a flourishing relationship with Jesus, all right? And so we've been walking through these seven core convictions, and, and this morning's is a little bit different than the rest. And you might scratch your head a little bit when you first hear it, but it's this. True flourishing is giving because God has given to us. You might say, what what does giving have to do with flourishing? I'm going to make the case this morning that one of the greatest markers of human flourishing, one of the greatest markers of of a flourishing relationship with Jesus for the past 2,000 years has actually been giving. Or, or, Or should I say more, the releasing of stuff and clinging to Jesus. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so this morning is not about getting anyone to give more. Um, It's about giving our hearts to Christ. And that's what I want us to talk about and to focus in on this morning. What does it look like to give our hearts fully to Christ? And what happens in our life? What happens in the way that we handle the things of this world uh, when we give our lives to Christ? What is this marker? Why is it so important that we give because God has given to us? We're going to look at a couple different characters. So we've been tracing different characters of the Bible who exemplify these things. And this morning, um, our main character... um, is a guy whose name is Joseph, but then his name is changed, right? His name is changed to Barnabas. Um, if you notice, the past few weeks, every single time we mention somebody, they have two different names, right? So his birth name was Joseph, but then when he becomes a follower of Jesus, he's given the name Barnabas. Um, you'll find Barnabas kind of throughout the book of Acts, um, is he's talked about several different times. Barnabas is, is somebody who uh, kind of lived a, a just an amazing life for Jesus. He experienced a transformation um, and, and became one who con- continually, constantly starts fighting for uh, people around him who um, need help, that need someone to fight for them. Um, the Apostle Paul was somebody he fought for. A few weeks ago, we talked about Paul, right? Paul was a murderer of Christians. He hunted them. He persecuted them. He threw them in jail. Um, and then Jesus shows up and says, Paul, I, I'm picking you out. I'm, call, I'm calling you out. And Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. 
Well, when Paul becomes a follower of Jesus, he goes to um, the disciples of Jesus, who at this point in time are leading the, the early church. And he says, man, I became a follower of Jesus. And they're like, no, nah, that doesn't smell right. There's something fishy going on there. Barnabas is the guy that says, no, 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 let's give this guy a chance. I, I believe that Jesus can transform anyone's life. It doesn't matter who they were or where they come from or how much money they make or don't make or what kind of job they have or don't have. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what their past is. Jesus can transform anybody's life. Let's give this guy a chance. Same thing happens actually later. Um, Paul and John Mark get into it. John Mark kind of, uh, kind of abandons Paul and kind of turns his back on him, lets him down a little bit. Paul's like, all right, I don't need you anymore. Barnabas says, no, 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 no. We're going to give him a second chance. We're going to continue to love him, and we're going to continue to invite him and pursue him. We're going to give him a second chance. Again and again and again, Barnabas is somebody who fights for the needs of the poor, fights for the needs of those who need a voice in, in the community. He is that voice again and again and again. Barnabas lived a, a, a life marked by a flourishing relationship with Jesus. The first time he shows up is actually in Acts chapter 4. And there's, a, there's an interesting scene that happens um, here in the church. Now, Acts chapter 4, Jesus has already died and risen from the grave. The early church is beginning to form, right? So you have all of these literally thousands of, of new Christians. They're Jewish Christians. They're Jews who have left their faith in, in Judaism and become followers of Jesus. So these Jewish Christians um, are, are creating and forming the early church. And these crazy miracles and things are taking place. And one of the things that they're doing is they are they're beginning to release their grasp on the things of this world because they found something far more valuable. And this is what's happening at the end of Acts chapter 4. If you look with me, we're going to pick it up in verse 32. Acts 4, verse 32, reads this way. Now the full number, everyone, now everyone of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Okay? No, no one is saying, this thing is mine. That thing is mine. This is my time. This is my talent. This is my possession. This is my stuff, not yours. No one's, no one's doing that. What are they doing? But they had everything in common. In the, and with the, with the great power, the apostles were giving the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, that's the end of Acts chapter 4. And what you see is this incredible transformation that has taken place in people's lives. True flourishing cannot take place without a true transformation. What you see are people who um, something has taken place in their lives, something has transformed, something has changed, and they, they are saying, man, I don't need excess anymore, right? In this day, in this age, there wasn't a stock market. You didn't invest your money in a 401k. You bought land. 
And so they had this extra, this excess, this land, and they were selling. They're like, I don't, I don't need this, but I see all these people in my church, in this gathering, who have needs. They don't have as much as I have. And so I don't need this, but they need something. And so I'm going to sell this. I'm going to bring the proceeds, and I'm going to lay it at the apostles' feet. And you say, hey, I trust you to give this to people who actually have a greater need than I. There are people in this room that have a greater need than I, and so therefore I want to I remove my excess so that they might have what they need. This is a mark of many followers of Jesus. It has been for a long time, right? Zacchaeus. Most of you know the story of Zacchaeus. If you don't, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? Climbed up in a tree. Jesus says, nope, I'm coming to your house, bro. And so Zacchaeus was this tax collector. Nobody liked him. Um, he was all about hoarding and building wealth and acquiring more. He meets Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus. Long story short, long story short, Zacchaeus repays every debt that he's ever owed. Everybody that he's ever taken money from, every time he's ever skimmed a little off the top, he repays every single bit of it. And then what's left, he sells half of it and gives it to the poor. Acts chapter 2, the church is doing the same thing. They're selling their possessions. They're selling their, their stuff, right? There's no, no Craigslist, but it's like the Christians were like the, the first like masters of the garage sale. It's like, I don't need this stuff. Like, let's sell it and let's give it to the poor, right? Um, and they just kind of dominated that space in their day. They were just selling stuff and giving the proceeds to the poor, to the needy. This has been a mark of followers of Jesus for 2,000 years. And in this instance, in this instance Barnabas is joining in to this act. He said, man, I have found something. I have found something so much more valuable than anything I own. I have found something so much more greater than anything I own. This has become worthless. But I know it can meet a greater need. I know it can meet a greater need. Um, Jesus says in, in John, in the Gospel of John, in John uh, chapter 8, verse 34, he says this, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We are, as humanity, we are enslaved by an idea. We're enslaved by the desires, as Paul says, the desires of our flesh, the desires of our hearts. We're enslaved by those things. Apart from Christ, we are enslaved by those things. And you and I, we experience this every single day. Some of those things you would look at and say, absolutely, that's bad, that's broken, that is, I, mean, I want nothing to do with that. But for a lot of us, what we're enslaved to is something that uh, on the surface seems a little bit more innocent. We're enslaved by an idea that somewhere out in the future, there is, there is something that's going to fulfill us. We're enslaved by the idea that somewhere out there in the distance, there is the perfect person that is going to love me the way that I deserve to be loved. They're going to love me perfectly. They're never going to let me down. When I find Mr. Wright, when I find the one, she will be perfect and she will be beautiful. If I could just get to this level in my career, if I could just get to this level um, in, my, in my job, then I would be content and I would have an identity and people would look at me and be like, he's successful, he's wealthy, or she, she's, she has worked hard, she's a hard worker and she's climbed that ladder. And people would look at me and they would say, man, there's something cool about that person. 
because he can do this thing or she has these talents or these abilities. And so I, I, I craft and mold my identity so that people will like me more. And if I can just, if I can just be a little bit cooler or have a little bit more, then people will actually like me more because I have a better identity. Or, or, maybe, or maybe it is if I could just create a little bit more security, then, then I would be secure. If I just had a little bit more money in my savings account, then I would be secure. Or maybe if I just had one of those doorbells that had a camera on it, then I would be um, actually safe. Friends, I'm from Chicago. I'm telling you, burglars don't ring doorbells, okay? Just, I, listen, I don't know if you knew that or not. They go through the window, all right? It's in the back of your house, not the front, right? Doorbell, where's the doorbell? Front of the house. I'm just, okay, free advice. There, there, it's, it's a false sense of all of these things. It's a false sense of security, a false sense of, uh, of fulfillment, a false sense of identity, right? It's a false sense of love. There's, never, there's no one who's going to love you perfectly. The person who you fall in love with and who falls in love with you, guess what? They're not going to be perfect. They're going to let you down. This is, the, this is the curse of humanity. We are enslaved to sin, we are enslaved by our brokenness to continue to seek after the longings, the desires of our heart, and we seek after them, we seek after them, we seek after them, and cursed to never actually find them, never actually find true security, never actually find true perfect love, never actually find true hope, never actually find true perfect identity where everybody thinks you're the best person ever. You can work your whole life to try and find those things. And, and we keep the worst place that we can get, the worst place we can get is where it's like, okay, I know, I know, but if I can just get there in the future, if that's just, just right there, that's, that's all I got to do. And then you get there and it's not there. And you, it's a trap. It's a cycle. It is sin. It's broken. It's broken. We need something that sets us free from this trap. We need something that will set us free from this cycle. What is that thing? Paul writes about it in Romans, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that the body of sin, the entirety of it, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, right? The body of sin, the entirety of sin, will be brought to nothing. When we crucify our desires with Christ, all of sin, all of its bondage, the slavery of it is brought to nothing, and then we are set free from that. You see, in Christ, we find something far greater than those things. We find an identity in Christ. I no longer have to make sure that my Facebook account and my Instagram is perfect so that people think that I'm cool. My identity is wrapped up in Christ. All that I am is in him. And he says that you are a child of God. You are loved by the God of the universe. You are an ambassador of Christ. You, will, you have an inheritance far more valuable than you can ever begin to dream. That is who you are. That is who you are, and I've made you that way. I've clothed you in my righteousness. You have now have a hope that is an anchor of the soul. Your hope is not in wealth. Your hope is not in security. Your hope is not um, in your family or your friends. Your hope is in Christ, and it is secured in him. Love. He's loved me perfectly. In every way, shape, form, he has loved me perfectly. So no longer does there need to be a pressure, uh, 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 pressure on my spouse pressure on my kids to fulfill my weakened human sinful desire 
to be loved perfectly. My wife doesn't have to love me perfectly. My kids don't have to love me perfectly. Christ has already done that for them. So I don't put pressure on them. I don't put pressure on my bank account. I don't put pressure on me. I don't I no longer have to live a fake life pretending to have something that, that I know I will never have. A few, last year in May, there was a kid who, in, in, in the zoo in Ohio, climbed into the cage with a gorilla. You guys remember this? Crazy, all right? Awesome, though, at the same time, okay? My, 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 sister's, my sister-in-law is a zookeeper, and she just wants this story to die, but it'll never die because I'm fascinated by this idea, okay? Kid crawls into a cage with a gorilla, right? And we think, and what is going on? Like, what is that kid thinking? I'm super fascinated by this idea. And so I did a bunch of research because I wanted to talk to my sister-in-law about it. And so I looked in, man, what are all the past like instances where someone's crawled into a cage at the zoo with like a lion or a cheetah? Like what is going on there, right? And I'll tell you what I found again and again and again. This little boy crawls over the cage. This little boy leaps out of his mom's arms. This little boy sneaks away. This little boy, this little boy, like why don't girls do it? Because they're smarter, right? They just are. I'm, I'm, I'll admit that, right? Little boys think it's cool to get in a cage with a silverback gorilla, okay? Like they've watched Jungle Book and they just want that gorilla to sing, all right? They, they've watched The Lion King and listen, Simba's dad never killed anybody, all right? He's kind and he's, and he's nice and so the, surely the lion's not going to jack me up. Like little girls are just a little bit smarter, Okay? So again and again and again, it's little boy, this little boy did this, this little boy did this, this little boy did this. Now, there are grown adults that do this. They're called intoxicated um, or crazy, okay? There, there's very few. Usually, they're not wearing clothes and doing really weird things before they get in, right? Um, but with little boys, it's like this innocent thing. You just don't, they just don't know. They just, they, just, they just don't know. They think, oh, man, like, look, the girl, he's just chilling. He needs somebody to come in to keep him company. Maybe he wants to get petted. You know? like they, they just don't understand. But as we grow up, as we mature and get older, we realize, man, that male silverback gorilla will jack you up. And the last thing that I want, the last thing that I want is to get inside the cage with him. That's the last place I want to be. I, I don't want to be in the cage with a lion. I mean, I, I think the lions are amazing. They're cool. It's great. But I, I want that barrier. In fact, if you could give me a couple barriers, that would be, that would be, that would be just fine by me. Okay? Now, we, there's something that happens in me as I grow older. I gain an understanding of what is actually valuable. Not getting chewed to death. Okay? That's valuable. Right? When you're a little boy, what's valuable is like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be cool. In the same way, true flourishing only comes through true transformation. Apart from Christ, we think this is going to fulfill. This is going to bring joy. This is going to bring delight. Christ sets us free from that idea and moves us to a place where we realize what is actually valuable. He is far more valuable than any riches in the world, any of the applause of any, of any crowd or of any, of any group of men. He's far more beautiful and far more greater, and so therefore I'm set free. I can release my grasp on these things. I can give them away. I don't need to hoard. I don't need excess. That is exhausting. It is exhausting to put my hope in that, to put my security in that. It is freeing and liberating to put my hope and my security and my identity in Christ. Now, 
The second character of the story doesn't understand this. In chapter 5, verse 1, the story continues. Even though there's a chapter break, the story is um, still a part of the same thing. Uh, we know this because of the first word is but. It's linking the end of first verse four, uh, chapter 4 with, with the beginning of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 reads this way. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge. He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? For the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Now this next part's important. He says, Peter asked him this, why? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. A great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men arose and wrapped him up. And carried him out to be buried. And in an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, knowing not what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Did you sell it for X amount of dollars? How much did you sell the land for? And she said, yes, for, for that amount. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and among all who heard of these things. What in the world just happened? That's the craziest thing, all right? Craziest thing. Here's what happens. Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, they have a field too. And what they see is all of their neighbors, all of these Jewish Christians, living these radically obedient lives, putting Jesus first at all costs, loving their neighbors no matter what. They see this true flourishing. They say, I want that. I want that. And so then they begin to give the perception that they have that as well. They don't pursue Christ. They pursue the perception of Christ. They shape and mold their identity. They go on Facebook and they, they talk about, they share some Bible verses on Facebook. They post pictures of them at church. They, 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 they give the perception that they have become followers of Jesus without actually following Jesus. And one of the things that's going on right now is that in the church is people are selling land, they're selling houses, and they're bringing the proceeds, and they're giving it to the church, and the church is giving it to people who have need, and they say, man, we got to do that too. If we want to build this perception, we want to build this persona, we got to do the same thing. And so they sell some land. When they sell the land, they're like, oh, man, this is a lot of money. Uh, maybe we should keep a little bit of that for ourselves. So they do. They bring a portion of the money and say, hey, here is all of the money from the land that we sold. They lie. They lie. They lie. And Peter, uh, the, the question that he asks is very telling. Peter says, wait a second, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wasn't the land yours? Like before you sold it, wasn't it yours to do whatever you wanted with it? And then after you sold it, you had the money. It wasn't the money 
yours? Didn't belong to you? You could have done whatever you wanted with it. If you wanted to give part of it and take your wife out for a nice dinner, do that. You want to buy yourself a new donkey? Do that. I, well, well, I don't understand. Wasn't it, wasn't it yours? You see, the problem was not that they gave a portion. It was that, that they lied and said that they gave it all. The, the, problem, the problem is not that they, that they held some back, but the problem is that they pretended to, to not hold any back. The, the problem is not that they um, did, didn't fully give everything to those who were in need. The problem was that they wanted people to believe something that was not true. Friends, let me tell you something. This idea still goes on today, and it is exhausting. It is exhausting to try to give the perception that you are a follower of Jesus without actually having a, a relationship with Jesus is exhausting. To have the burden to be on you to, 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 to pretend like you are filled with grace and kindness and love and mercy is exhausting. To live a transformed life without ever being transformed is crushing, man. And the reality is that some of us in this room, we've been doing it for a long time. We are exhausted and tired because under our own weight, under our own strength, under our own might, we have been working so hard so that people in our lives will think that we are somebody when we are not that person at all. And you're here this morning, you are exhausted by it because you haven't given your life to Christ. He doesn't sit on the throne of your life. He hasn't freed you from the things of this world. You are literally prying your own fingers off of the things of this world. You haven't found something more valuable. You've just found a lifestyle that you want to live. This is what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. I, I mean, li living a life uh, that, is, that is marked by um, a, a relationship with Jesus, a flourishing relationship with Jesus, um, is this beautiful, freed up, um, precious thing. Or suddenly, man, he is so much more valuable than all these things. And it's just easy for me to, to relinquish them. It's easy for me to say, yeah, let's sell a field and let's give it away. Nobody asked the church to do that. N nobody asked the people. Nobody said, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to sell your stuff. They just did it because they found, fell in love with Jesus and he was more valuable than their stuff. When we fall in love with Jesus, the things of this world become so less meaningful and the problems of humanity become so much more valuable to us. We, we want to help others more. We want to love our neighbors more. We want to treasure Christ more. That's freeing and liberating and joyful and flourishing. To fake it, that's exhausting. Exhausting. And so how do we find this place? How do we find this place of true flourishing and joyful sacrificial giving? How, how do we get there? Well, well clear, clearly the answer is in Christ. We've already, we've already talked about that idea. And the, the reality is, is that, that, that um, when, we, when we begin a flourishing relationship with Jesus, okay, we are freed up from the longings of the things of this world. But the second piece of that is that when we look at Jesus and we see how unbelievable the amount of sacrifice that he gave to us, we're no longer able to hold on, right? When, when you realize what Jesus has given you and, and me on the cross, 
When, when I realized that Jesus didn't give me half the grace, he gave it all to me. He didn't give me half of his blood. He gave all of his blood for me. He, he didn't give me half of my salvation. He gave all of, his, all of my salvation to me. I, I, I didn't have to acquire more. I didn't have to work for more. He gave it freely, every ounce of it. He didn't give me half of his righteousness. He gave all of his righteousness to me. Then what am I doing holding on to the trinkets compared to that? What, what am I doing holding on to things of this world that are temporary and ultimately meaningless and, and I cannot take with me? Why am I holding on to them so tightly when the one who loves me perfectly has given me perfect hope and perfect, and perfect satisfaction, perfect delight, perfect security, and, and yet and has given it all to me? Not, not some all of it. What am I doing I'm trying to find those things over here and clinging so tightly to the things that are just fake and feeble? The gospel drives us to a different way of life. It transforms our hearts. It brings about true flourishing. And a mark of true flourishing is giving because God gave to us. Now, friends, the call this morning is not to go home and sell your house, okay? Don't do that. And especially don't do that and then tell, you, tell me that I told you to do that because I didn't tell you to do that, okay? This is being recorded, all right? I got proof. I did not tell you to do that. Um, don't, don't go home and quit your job. I didn't tell you to quit your job, okay? Um, man, if there's a burden on your heart for something, take it to the Lord. Ask, is this, is this what you want from me? What in my life, what in my life am I clinging to? What in my life am I clinging to that is temporary and ultimately meaningless? Where, where in my life am I seeking security or hope or love or identity in something that is not Christ? Show me what that is. Free me from that bondage. Here's the question. Your friends and your family, your neighbors, people who know you the best and love you, do they know you as one who is incredibly generous and gracious and does not cling to the things of this world, but rather moves and seeks to help those who are in need constantly and always, giving of themselves um, so that others might not be in need? Or do they know you as one who is constantly stingy and hoardy and, and kind of putting on this fake persona of, of being somebody that you're not while acquiring more and more and more for yourself? What are you known as in your family? What are you known as among your friends? I'll tell you again, if, if you are faking this thing, it is the most exhausting and sad place to be. The King of Kings has set you free from that. You need to cling to him and release your grasp on the things of this world. True flourishing is in Christ alone. It is not in the things of this world. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you, and, and I admit, in my own life, on a regular basis, I can find things that I begin to cling to that are not of you. I think, I fool myself in my sinfulness, I, I, I can fool myself into thinking, oh, this is going to fulfill, or this is going to bring some sort of satisfaction, this is going to bring more joy to my life. If I could just get here, if I could just do this thing, break me of that. At all costs, whatever it takes, break me of that. I do not want to cling to the things of this world. I want to cling to you and you alone. I want to give freely of all the good that you've given to me 
people around me, my friends, my church, might not have a need. When I see a need, might I realize how much you've given me? And might I sell it, remove it, rather than cling to it? My eternity is secure in you. My hope is secure in you. My love is secure in you. My wealth is secure in you. I have more in you than I could ever begin to imagine. Free me from the lie that in some way, shape, or form, the things of this world will satisfy. You and you alone satisfy. Remind me that every day. Remind us. Praising your name.